0: hello everyone and welcome to the protagonist podcast where each week we look at a great character in a great story i'm jodorowsky and this week we're discussing anna omir Zeno, seymour and constance from cloud cuckoo land joining me for the discussion is producer andrew welcome back andrew hello so cloud cuckoo land is a 2021 novel by anthony Doerr, and it tells the story of various people scattered across centuries and how their stories intersect both literally and thematically I don't know if that gives you any sense of what this <laughs> is about. <laughs> but that's that was the the, the closest I come up to a quick summary. Uh um, yeah. and, and I'm I'm talking like mid 1400s Constantinople to ambiguous future spaceship. Uh that
1: that's the range we're dealing yeah. with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's it is hard to explain like what you're getting into early on. And I don't think I, I was more than a quarter of the way through before I was like, okay, I think I got it.
0: Me too. Uh, so, this is a long book. I read the book. It's 600. Let me, I've got it over here. Hold on. Let me reach and grab it. Not to bump the mic along the way. It's 622 pages. Uh, Andrew, you listened to the audiobook, right?
1: Yeah. How long is the audiobook? Do you know? Uh, Over 10 hours.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, like, that's, that feels like that's heading into like Brandon Sanderson territory. And a lot of those are like I don't, 40 plus hours.
1: Yeah. So, I, I, hard. And it's hard for me to confirm that like fully accurately because it might have been 10 hours at double speed. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so no, so I'm not 100 percent sure.
0: Yeah. But it, it, it's a long one. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it had to be more than 10 hours because like some YA novels that, you know, are 10 are hour audiobooks uh, that I've seen. So it, I'm sure it was, it, it's a pretty lengthy audiobook, I would guess. Uh, and like you, I was probably a quarter of the way where I started to say, OK, I see how these threads intersect. And are starting to weave together to become their own strands. And then it's like several hundred more pages where it's like, okay, I now see how those strands are weaving together to become a narrative rope. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: in, in this. And then it's at the very end where it's like, okay, everything has tied together in a very satisfying way. But
1: It, it, it was super satisfying in the end. But mm-hmm. early on, it was I, like, I don't know. It was kind of disengaging early on.
0: Yes, and I would not be surprised if, like, if we had the data of people like who pick up the book and like start reading it and bail out. Like, you you can see with eBooks, like when you know how many pages, you know what percentage of people stop at a certain point. I would guess this has uh, around page one hundred a lot of people giving up on it. Yes, um, I had read. A review of the book that made me trust it would be worth pushing through that or i might have done that <laughs> uh, but i kind of had some like positive praise for the book that said no no it's gonna be worth it, it definitely was by the end but it it is a, a bit of work to to get there it's not one that's grabbing you immediately i think um so some trivia about it before we run to the the summary, and I'll explain what we're going to do with the summary uh, when we get to that too. So Doran notes that this book references several other books. Like he's very upfront. It, it is not subtextual. It is textual in a lot of it, but he also makes notes of it uh, in an author note. Most notably, there's a lost book by an ancient Greek writer, Antonius Di- Diogenes, which we know about because other ancient Greek writers praise it and kind of describe enough of it that we've pieced together some of what this missing book would have been about um there's also aristophanes who was an ancient greek playwright wrote a drama called the birds which is the origin of the phrase cloud cuckoo land which has been adopted by many people like there's lots of philosophers that will talk about cloud cuckoo land um and that becomes like a, a central idea uh in this book um and xeno's uh he, he's his character's plot um Part of it is that he is a prisoner of war during the Korean War, and some of the inspiration for that came from a book called Remembered Prisoners of a Forgotten War, an oral history of Korean War POWs that Dor read and was like inspired by He's like, I have gotta, I've got to I've got to tell some of these stories uh, in, in it. And I also saw that he uh, when he did. Is um, it called All the Light That We Cannot See? Is that one of his other the the big books? I think so. For this? Um, he said. He had to do research on walls for part of that. I've not read that book, so I don't know why he had to research walls. But he said he kept coming up upon references of Constantinople's walls, and he's like, "Well, okay, I'm going to have to do a book about Constantinople <laughs> and <laughs> and and that wall, and that's the uh, you know the the, the older plotline uh, that's in this." Um, This book ended up being a finalist for the 2021 National Book Award, and it was also considered for the Andrew Carnegie. uh, That's the way it's supposed to be pronounced, right? Everyone says Carnegie, but isn't it supposed to be Carnegie? I think it's Carnegie. Carnegie. Okay. Uh, But it was a medal for for excellence in fiction. I just know that we all say it wrong. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We say Carnegie. Um, uh, And and so it was like on the cusp of winning some big awards, but didn't quite. It was on the list, you know, when they released there. They're like also considered. Mm hmm um that's it for true because it's a fairly new book this is one of the newest books we've covered on the podcast i think um i mean we did uh uh picnic in the ruins which i think is also a 2021 book but i can't think of much more recent in terms of the books uh that we've ever done
1: yeah it's they're usually 10 years or older mm-hmm.
0: i mean sometimes centuries older uh <laughs> depending on what we're talking about all right, uh, before we move on to the plot summary, listeners, we want to thank you for downloading this episode, and we especially want to thank any of you who any of you who support us on Patreon. If you'd like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash podcast and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quickcasts, which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media that we've been consuming that we're not yet covering as episodes of the podcast. And we are also giving updates on our fantasy box office for 2023, which I believe... I already have a lead in because I had the first movie that came out
1: as of recording. But by the <laughs> yeah, time you hear this, probably not. I
0: literally have the only movie <laughs> that has come out at this moment in recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all patrons and supporters with $5 per month and more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. All right. So in cloud cuckoo land chapters in this book, bounce between characters who are in very different type periods and it also bounces around within the time periods of those characters' lives to the point where at first I wasn't – I didn't always connect like, oh, okay, that's the young version of this character and that's the old version of this character. <laughs> Will happen. I'm undoing all of that for this plot summary. But just know, like, you might turn a page and it is set in, uh, you know, 1940s Idaho and you finish that chapter and then the next one is set on a spaceship. And then the next one is set in a valley in uh, ancient Mesopotamia, <laughs> you know, something like that, or you know, near Constantinople. So it moves around a lot. I am streamlining all those stories for us chronologically, for the sake of this. It is an en- frustrating but engaging way to tell a story in Cloud Cuckoo Land. I don't think the story would work at all if it was presented in the way I'm about to present it to you. But just for clarity <laughs> of summer, so, you know, of summarizing it, I'm going to do it this way. So. In the mid-1400s, Anna's an orphan girl living in Constantinople. She uh, works in an embroidery house. She hates it. Her sister Maria is very good at it, though. Um, She hears a man on the street uh, named Licinius who's telling a story of Ulysses. She bribes Licinius with wine to teach her how to read and also to keep telling her stories. Uh, After she has actually learned how to read, he gives her some scrolls. She hides them in her room. Uh, These scrolls are discovered in her room. Uh and and the uh, the place where she's at is a very uh like religious uh uh catholic right uh a uh, place that she but, she's working yeah it's a convent yeah the scrolls were not <laughs> And so this is a scandal that someone had non-religious scrolls uh, in their room. The master of this uh, comment, well, it's comment because there's all the sisters there, but there's a man that's in charge of it. But he is furious about this, and he blames Maria for having them and beats her violently and she never will fully recover from this beating and she's going to have seizures Anna's going to be trying to get money to get her sister medicine that she now needs um and so like basically anything that she can scrounge up to make money she'll do and she discovers that people are willing to pay for books there's some particular men in that will pay a high price for the right books if she can find them uh so she sneaks into an abandoned building that has many damaged books and she steals as many as she can and tries to sell them all um at the same time like throughout this storyline people in the city are getting nervous about an approaching army and there comes a point where like everyone starts to flee the city uh her sister maria dies and anna takes one last book that she had stolen with her and she sneaks out of the city during an attack now, Omir's story, in the mid-1400s, Omir was born with a, a cleft palate, uh, which was believed to be a sign of a demon possession, and he was supposed to be killed, but his family fled the city they were in rather than let their baby be killed, and he grew up on an isolated kind of farm up in a, in a, a valley uh, away from everyone uh, but his parents. And they, but eventually, an army does come through demanding uh, animals to help, uh, and also men to come serve in the army, and Omir and his family oxen have to go Omer has a lot of struggles with the army. This is not his favorite place. (laughs) Um, And there's like long chapters about the army, like uh, smelting metal to build a cannon and how they're going to build like the law, the longest, largest cannon that's ever been made, which apparently is historically true that this was done Uh, um, to be able to attack and breach the walls of Constantinople. Uh, Eventually uh, after a lot of buildup, uh the the battle begins and in the chaos of battle Omer sneaks off to go back home and he runs across anna the the girl from the first story uh they end up traveling together they don't speak each other's language but they learn to speak uh and they fall in love anna teaches him to read the book that she has uh and they they live a life together and then as an old man Omer sells the book to some italian book collectors now uh another storyline that we have is Zeno. Who's growing up as a boy in Idaho in the 1940s? He doesn't fit in with other kids. He loves to read books. He escapes into them. His father enlists in World War II, uh, and Zeno has to live with his dad's girlfriend while he goes to serve in the military. He dies in World War II. When Zeno turns 14, he enlists in the army, and he gets sent to Korea, where he is captured and kept in a POW camp. There, he meets a soldier named a British soldier named Rex. Rex um, tells Zeno you know, all about ancient Greek stories uh, that Rex has been obsessed with, and Rex is uh, teach like starts teaching Zeno. Greek because um, he, you know, he was an academic and this is what he was doing before the war, um, and eventually Zeno and Rex make an escape plan together. But when it's time to do the plan, Zeno freezes up and he just can't go through with it. And Rex and he are separated. Rex tries to carry out the plan, and Zeno has no idea what has happened to Rex. Years later, uh, Zeno's back in the United States. He's trying. He's tried to find out if Rex survived the war. Um, pre-internet that's a pretty hard thing to do <laughs> you can mm-hmm. just type a name into a search window and see if he has a presence on social media but he eventually finds out finds out that rex is in london and uh Zeno, who was romantically in love with rex uh travels to see him but he finds out that rex has uh another man living with him uh his time with rex does reawaken Zeno's interest in greek texts and translations though uh so he goes back to the states and he Uh, learns about a recently discovered copy of uh diogenes's cloud cuckoo land and begins translating it uh the fragments of it that he has he like it's not a complete text, but he's translating what he what he can um because he's at the local library so much working on this translation he ends up getting roped into helping out with a youth group like these kids that are hanging around all the time and bothering him
1: they're just just like the kids that are
0: at the library yes (laughs) And he convinces them to stage a play version of Cloud Cuckoo Land. And this is by this point is like in the early 2000s, right? He's, you know, yeah. when he's doing doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, So in Idaho uh, earlier in the uh, in the uh, like uh, 1990s, I'm going to say there's a kid named Seymour who's a child uh, somewhere on the spectrum. I, I don't think we're ever given a full diagnosis, are we?
1: No, but but clearly um, that's what's being portrayed.
0: Yes. Uh, And he has a single mom who is like, I feel so bad for the single mom. (laughs) She is working so hard to try and make a life for her and her son. Uh, And no one in the universe is helping her. It feels like uh, through this, he's home a lot uh alone a lot uh he has like a favorite uh tv show that he watches that has a, a an owl character called trusty friend uh and he goes he wanders off into the woods and loves seeing animals and there's an owl that kind of bo- he feels like he gets a bond with it he calls his trusty friend uh and he learns a ton about animals including at the local library there's a librarian that helps him learn about uh the animals that he sees and he he's able to like identify all the animals that he sees out in the forest um but then a developer is going to tear down the woods uh and his favorite owl is killed in this process uh, as a teenager, he gets pulled into a, like a violent environmentalist group. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Like, not just we're going to protest, but like we're going to violently ensure. Like, uh, like in the news lately, there's been the people throwing uh, cans of paint at at great works of art, but they know the art's not going to be destroyed. This group would try and destroy the art, yeah, uh, <laughs> to, to make their point. Uh, and this group is going to like coax him and manipulate him into building a bomb to attack the office of the real estate developer company that tore down the forest behind his home. That company's office is part of the same complex as his local library. So Seymour Seymour builds a bomb and tries to plant it in the library and he wants it to go off after hours. Um, But there's an old man with a children's group in the upstairs room practicing a play after hours. And uh, in the end, uh, through a a series of very unfortunate things, Zeno's going to grab the bomb and uh, he's going to die as he's running it out of the library so the children are safe. Uh, and then Seymour is going to go to prison. Uh, uh, and he's offered a job with a company called Ilium. Elium is building a 3D digital atlas of the entire planet through drone and camera, uh, car camera footage, uh, like every street, every, every inch of earth they have footage of, and they're building a 3D world that someone could walk through. Uh, but, they want Seymour and the other prisoners to sanitize all the visual data <laughs> and remove anything that's violent or controversial. Because at this point, it's just we, we send cameras all over the earth. Turns out cameras can catch some unsavory things. <laughs> so uh, they, they've got algorithms. That they, well, like They need the sets of eyes of these prisoners to go through and basically walk every street see everything that was captured by the cameras and and uh, red red flag, anything that needs to be cleaned up. Uh, Seymour does this, but he starts to get annoyed uh, about like this idea of presenting a cleaned up, sanitized version. And uh, through years of working on this project, he actually figures out ways to embed some secret signals to anyone who looked closely that they could see that something's wrong with this image that I'm seeing. And he gives them a key, uh, a marker of an owl that they could kind of peel back and see what was originally there.
1: Right uh, yeah amb- so he he finds a way to like embed the code uh
0: of the, what was originally there, you know, the, the original image, whatever had been captured. Mm-hmm. Uh in an ambiguous future, Constance is a young girl living on a generational spaceship that is traveling to another planet so that humanity can survive the damage that it's done to Earth. Um, there's dozens of people on the spaceship. There's an AI called uh Sybil. Um, and uh there's like very strict routines for everyone. Uh, but eventually a plague breaks out on the ship uh and everyone's being locked in their quarters her father knowing that he is about to succumb to this plague he actually but Constance hasn't hasn't yet fallen ill he gets her into an isolated spot away from everyone else and gives her all the supplies she needs and locks the door uh and then basically everyone else dies uh and she's alone on the ship just with Sybil and one of her favorite things that in all her her learning and everything is is that she can go into this VR world and she's loved she's loved looking at the Earth's Atlas uh and uh, she eventually picks up on some of the clues that Seymour had embedded in it, including which include clues that are leading her to this text called <laughs> Cloud Cuckoo Land that she can't actually find anywhere on Earth because Seymour was in, uh, like as part of his guilt and penance that he felt about having led to Zeno's death, he stayed in contact with the youth group and made sure that, uh, as much as he could that they were okay. And he, he found out about Zeno's translation uh, of that book. So there's some clues about Cloud Cuckoo Land throughout, uh, and, um, out of uh, all the clues that she finds uh, and everything that she does, she eventually has this uh, epiphany that she might not be on in, in outer space. <laughs> and she, uh, despite Sybil like warning her not to do it, she starts attacking the wall of the spaceship. And eventually she climbs out and finds out that this was a simulation in Iceland that had been built uh, to test if humans could handle the uh, the the kind of travel that it would take to go from our solar system to another space through generations. Mm-hmm. Like the, no one that was in there was supposed to know that they had never left the earth. <laughs> uh, like her parents weren't like keeping her a secret. Like the, her parents were it, really thought they were traveling through, throughout space. Um, but she climbs out and, uh, we're not told much about the stat- status of earth that she climbs out to. Um, but, she settles down and has a family and is able to pass on some of the story of cloud cuckoo land that she found in that world atlas that she'd been wandering the end. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, pretty simple.
0: Yes. And just imagine like one chapter, it's like young, Seymour uh at home with a, you know, being left alone while his mom goes to work. And then another chapter is like Teenage Zemo or uh Seymour talking to a teenage, you know, a girl at school that's getting him into the, like these, these environmental concerns. Uh and then, then, you know, like so it's not just like bouncing around these different people's lives, it's different moments of their lives are being told us out of order. It's a lot to kind of keep track of, but it really is rewarding. I do recommend this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one thing that's so rewarding about it is it feels like there is a clear and distinct narrative through line that humanity is always worried worried the world's ending and also books endure and give us meaning. <laughs> like
1: that there's Yeah, there's I'd a, say that's that's consistent in the various stories that we have.
0: Yeah. Like it really does feel like the end of the world for people, both uh on like personal individual levels, but also questioning like what humanity is capable of, what what is what is going on. Um like the fall of Constantinople was A uh, like it's just shaking your worldview. (laughs) Constantinople was supposed to always stand. And it felt like heathens had won from the point of view of the people within Constantinople. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if the heathens are winning, that means essentially God is falling. Right. (laughs) You know, like this this is it. Uh, and, And then you get like individual like Zeno being in a POW camp. That feels like the end of his life. Like it, it cannot possibly get worse than this. Uh but then you also get like Xeno facing domestic terrorism, uh, which is something that's plaguing uh, you know America now. Like the, the violence that can happen in places that should be safe places. That feels like, what are we doing as a society? You know, what wh- what is happening? And we get the spaceship story of like, oh, we've really screwed up. <laughs> like we destroyed the earth. <laughs> you know, like for all of these, it is literally like an apocalypse. Uh is visiting these people's lives. Mm-hmm. And yet there's Uh, power that they find through their individual connections with other people often. Uh, uh, We can parse through uh, that idea uh, that there is a power in, 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 in warm personal connections that happens. And also there is something enduring about books and knowledge that is, that is concrete and, and, and being put down.
1: Mm -hmm. So who do you want to talk about?
0: Okay, should we just kind of maybe tackle them chronologically as we go through? Okay. <laughs> like, and, and maybe we can put it together. Like Anna and Omer, their story is is going to become one story. Yeah. Um so let's talk about those two first. Okay. Anna is like just in some ways it felt like the the spunky Disney princess but in a world that's not a Disney movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: she is dealing with like terrible
0: experiences. Yeah. Uh just awful violence. That's a around her before A war visits her, (laughs) and as a war visits her, um, but but it's like, uh, I mean, I said I said a smoky Disney princess, but it's like Aladdin and Aladdin, like yeah, okay, you know, I'm in this awful situation, but uh, I've got like this can do, uh, you know, way that I'm gonna I'm gonna work my way through, Mm -hmm. uh, and yet there's things that that she can't, like she can't save her sister, um, and she has immense guilt that her sister was blamed for the scroll that was that was hers, Um, right. And, and, oh, that's like, actually like, there's like world shaking violence in this book, but the description of the sister, uh, being thrown down on the stairs, it's one of the most violent things that sticks with me for the book. Um, so, so yeah, like there's this mix of, uh, Anna is actually pretty darn competent, but also you, she can't fix everything. She can't save everything. (laughs) Like the problems are too big.
1: Right, she she ultimately doesn't have that much power. Mm-hmm.
0: Even as like you look around her, like the the other sisters in the convent, the other people on the street, like she's doing better than most of them at navigating this world. Um, that 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 she's in, and yet the the scale of the problems really are huge, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and it's not something. Uh, I can't remember exactly how old she is at like when we first meet her, but it feels like like pre-pubescent, like nine or ten, right?
1: Uh, like maybe 12.
0: Okay. But she, uh, I didn't go into depth, but like the, when she's taken out to try and steal those books, it is like an Indiana Jones heist. (laughs) It's it's kind of Mm -hmm. what ends up being described. And like, there's danger all around and she's, she's good at it. She's able to get the books. She's able to, um, find things. She's also smart enough to learn. Uh, like she's a pretty quick student learning how to read.
1: Right. Uh, She's, she's one of the people that like gets to read the book.
0: Mm hmm uh and and this is the, despite being denied really any opportunity for education she finds a way. And so there's that that's very laudable about her. Um and, and she survives
1: the yeah. you know the sacking of Constantinople.
0: Yeah, which which that um, was a pretty big one. <laughs> yeah. We, we, we don't talk about it much. That was a big one. That that was uh that was a big battle. So her story is going to intersect with Omer who In some ways, it's it's similar, right? Like there's there's a lot that's piled on him and yet he survives. But he's also a very distinctly different character (laughs) than Mm -hmm. like I would not say there's anything spunky (laughs) about Omer.
1: No, he like he survives. Yeah, a lot a lot of stuff, but definitely not um, like he doesn't have tenacity. He has like humility is a word that comes to mind for him, but it's but it's not because he's. Being humble, it's because he feels rejected. Yeah, and
0: but there's also like there's a quiet power about him. But it's like he him communing individually with nature is, is part of his character.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, he has a, he has he has a very a deep very... connection
0: to the oxen mm-hmm. and, and to like the the very I mean rural is not even the right word, but like the the almost natural place where he grew up in this valley. Um, mm-hmm. You know where like there's his family's home and that's it. And the right, everything else is, is nature. (laughs) Uh,
1: Yeah. Like pastoral.
0: Yes. That's it. That's the word I want. The, the, that kind of uh, life. And, um, when he gets thrust into this role as a soldier, like that's not for him.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. He, he feels out of place, not only because he's treated as out of place, not only because, you know, he has the, the cleft palate, but he just feels like, I don't understand like this society, this, the, the way of their behavior, all that sort of stuff.
0: And like, you get the sense that like, as the army's building the cannon and when they fire the can, like there's an awe from everyone else. And I think there's a shock for Omer, but it's not, awe. Mm-hmm. you know, that's not, that's not something that's worthy of awe <laughs> to him. Uh, it, it really is just nature is, is what's worthy of awe. <laughs> that's where, where he communes with God, not in, uh, you know, destruction and power. Right. Uh, or, or anything like that, um, and so when when Anna and Omer connect, I, I I think as a reader, like you know, they're going to bond, but it also doesn't feel like a natural bond, or, or like oh, they're they're destined to meet each other, and and like th- this is who they need. It's not really, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I like them as a pair, but it's not like they're they're two halves that are completing each other, because um, they feel so distinct from each other, and it's mm-hmm. not. I, I don't think it's quite that one has a strength that the other one doesn't. That's part of it, but it doesn't feel like that's why they're going to work together. Uh, and, and it really is interesting chapters when they're first like learning to communicate with each other, the way that that gets, uh, you know, passed on because uh, he, he does kind of take over as a prisoner because <laughs> he doesn't quite know what else to do. Uh, and he's right. You know, there, there's fear that they're each could ruin the other one's life. Like this contact could actually be uh, the death of the other one.
1: Yeah. I think one of the things that stands out to her about him is, his kindness, right? He has a he has a very kind and gentle nature.
0: Yes, even as he's gonna kind of
1: take her as a prisoner, he's gonna make sure she has food and water. Um, well, and, and and his reason behind that, which he tries to explain, but but they have a language barrier. Is he's kind of saying, well, if I take her as a prisoner, I will look like I was part of the army, mm-hmm. and I will be able to get back home and do the things I care about. And so he's just kind of like. It, this works better if I have her as a prisoner. Yeah. But I don't actually have her as a prisoner.
0: But it doesn't. He can't communicate that to her. So we get the chapters from her point of view that are very wary initially of of the situation she finds herself in. Mm hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I there's something. That's beautiful in the distinctness of these characters uh, where we're like, we we kind of say, like, OK, each one of these stories in these threads is about like this fear of an end of the world and also the power of books, but also everyone is so different from each other uh, as we go through it. All right, let's talk a little bit about
1: Zeno. Uh, I like Zeno a lot. I think in my head, he's like, he's like the middle character Mm -hmm. for it. And so in my head, I kind of made him the main character, I think at a certain point. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and I mean, the, the connection with, Anna and Omir that we're supposed to, I think uh, make is that the, the book (laughs) that Zeno ends up translating is the book that Anna had taken with her when, when she escaped from Constantinople. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's, you know, our, our physical connection that's going to, to, uh, you know, span the centuries uh, between them. Uh, He is another one that kind of like Omer, It's, I wouldn't describe spunk as his character heuristic at all. (laughs) Right. He also. Uh, he's he becomes or or he, uh, he feels, I think, rejected uh, in part because he's gay in the, you know, ni- 1940s and 50s and 60s.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's he's closeted gay throughout the story.
0: Yeah. he So so he's extremely isolated. And one thing that we said uh, that it's not just the power books, but also the power connection that happens to kind of revive or save these characters we we see that very explicitly with omer and anna as we just described but for for zeno he is so alone but then he thinks he finds that, like his connection with rex is what gets him through being in a, a prisoner of war right mm-hmm. but then he's kind of lonely again trying to find rex and then finds out okay well I, I i can't connect with rex the way i thought i was going to uh and then he, he kind of stays lonely but then it's it's not romantic love but it's just the warm social bond that he forms with these kids Is what what's you know what what makes his life have meaning there at the end? He thought it was going to be his academic work, doing this this translation of a lost text, and and like the idea of texts surviving is definitely part of this. But there's something that's vibrant that awakens within him in having this social connection with the with these kids and awakening in them a love of learning and a love of books.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, his. It's like his second life Yes, is when he digs into the translation. And and that's when I finally feel like happy for him. Like he Mm -hmm. has had such a, just a tough run of not getting attention, not getting affection, not feeling fulfilled, not feeling, you know, a sense of purpose or anything.
0: And not being, not feeling like he didn't live a, like a, a true life
1: yeah yeah not a complete life, not a true life, not a a satisfying life and he he keeps getting by, right he survives the prisoner of war camp, he survives the war, he gets a job, he is consistent with his work for for snow plowing and and all of those things, and he's just like doing it, but he's just not feeling anything for so long, and then something about translating and and working on that and then even more so when he has the kids it it it's what like elevates him mm-hmm. and his his entire experience his entire existence elevates you know, it, it, at the end of his life you know in in the last few years of his life
0: yeah and there's a sense of uh fulfillment that's coming again not just through the act of translation of an ancient greek text but the act of like sharing it with these these kids and and guiding these kids who felt uh the way they were presented were, were kind of uh aimless until mm-hmm. he got them excited about doing, uh, you know, uh, a local library group production <laughs> of a lost Greek text, which would excite any child. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, but it's presented in a way that does feel like it all works. Uh, it, it's yeah, I, I I like what you said about him feeling like a, a central character, um, like a, a pivot.
1: Yeah, I think I think he's the one that by the end of like most invested in, in seeing how did things work out and you know, what was going on with him.
0: But also it's one of the first, I I've read this a little while ago, so I can't remember exactly, but I know like one of the first sections is like building a sense of dread for, Zeno that he's in the library where there's going to be a bomb. And then mm-hmm. it takes a while for like that all to kind of come back together. Come back together. It takes a really long time (laughs) for it all to come back together, which i that's not a knock. It's a feature. (laughs) You know, we we just need to acknowledge that. Uh, But there is, um, yeah, it's possible to kind of like lose that thread and then it like it, like it, you get reminded like oh no there's something bad happening here uh because because like you're upstairs in the library room with the with the kids uh and and like the kids are like being kids they're like trying to pay attention but also getting distracted and he's trying to like guide them just like stay focused and and uh you know learn their lines but there's also like the silliest but then also um at, by the time like we, we're revisiting it all and like we're seeing it come to a head with uh uh, well, it's a gunshot, is what happens downstairs first, not the bomb. Like, the, we know there's a bomb down there, but also, um, Seymour's gonna shoot another li- library worker. Um, and he hears the gunshot and realizes because of his war experience exactly what that means. And the kids don't quite process it. And we see him like enter a, a hero phase that we didn't know he had, even though we'd seen like the stories of his military experience,
1: right? Um, yeah, he he. Engages a a protector quality that he hadn't really demonstrated. Yes,
0: and um, it's so sad (laughs) when you know what what happens uh, when he dies. But uh, well, and
1: they are also not explicit in describing it. They Mm -hmm. make it clear, like he does something heroic. He takes the bomb and he runs as far as he can from the kids. And 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 from anybody, right? He runs past the police and everything, just to get it away from people. Hmm. And 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 it's purely heroic. But like the blast doesn't happen, and they don't say anything about his memorial or you know his burial, his death or anything like that. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and it's like the way the pieces work. Like in some ways, you're kind of like ah, the, the structure of the book. Like leaves you like waiting to see like okay are we going to revisit that at all and the way you find out a little bit more is through uh you know we're talking about seymour but to constance wandering through her world atlas she finds a copy like a a personally bound copy of uh the book that he'd been translating but in australia and you find out like one of those kids had been visiting from australia for the summer when she ended up spending a lot of time at the library and got swept up in all this and uh you know all the kids ended up with a bound copy of the translation that zeno have been doing but it, 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 like it's just little breadcrumbs that are that are happening that you it's almost like uh, seeing tiles of a mosaic without being able to step back and see the big picture uh you know until until much later mm-hmm. in the story um seymour uh, anything you want to say about seymour
1: um i, think I... Did, the
0: most interesting for thing for me about his character is his journey to being uh like an agent for himself because so much of his life it feels like he's just being manipulated by people around him. not his mom like his mom mm-hmm. is is truly loving and, and for me like one of the the most heartbreaking characters in the in, in the book is like you she's pouring her soul into trying to make a life for her and her son and to see mm-hmm. the way her son is manipulated and that she loses him to jail because of the internet <laughs> basically uh, yeah because because of trolls on the internet that really are just trying to see can we make someone make a bomb uh, mm-hmm. like we, we find out like in the court that there wasn't actually a group that he was communicating with. It really was just kind of trolls saying, how, well, how far can we push someone?
1: Right. And I think I, I really like, um, so by the end of the book, it focuses a lot on Seymour. He has kind of a lengthy, um, you know, uh, not epilogue, but mm-hmm. after the action of the library, there's a pretty long stretch where it's focused on okay here's what's going on with seymour here's what happens to seymour here's how he matters in the long run to 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 constance's Constance's story because we've
0: been given the breadcrumbs of constance like finding these weird signal you know owl shapes that signal that something's wrong with the atlas
1: and so it's kind of like the exposition of the book it's like okay here's how it all works like you get that that Mm -hmm. period at the end where you get a lot of exposition on anna and Omer and and particularly Omer as he like rebinds the pages of the book at one point and um and you're like oh okay so that's how that's his role in in preserving the text and then you get kind of a, a parallel with seymour in his story after um Zeno dies of him like going through prison and becoming involved in the in the ilium um, in the ilium project and and scanning for everything and and you know putting the marks in place and everything uh and it built a lot of um of like sympathy and empathy for him mm-hmm. and what he chooses what he chooses to do when he is given opportunities to choose where yes. he doesn't feel, like you said, he doesn't feel like an agent. He doesn't feel like he's he's making decisions for himself very much early on. He feels, uh, in in all of those cases, he feels very reactive to things that he's still feeling from earlier. Mm-hmm. He is angry about the forest behind his house getting torn up. And he is still reacting to that for like 10 years. And And that's what gets manipulated. Mm-hmm. And after that, he finishes growing up. And he starts to make choices for himself.
0: Yeah. And I I like what you said about like in some ways it's exposition. It's kind of like uh, for a lot of the book, we're giving these these clues to a mystery. We didn't quite see what the mystery was. But then this is like the parlor room reveal is how Seymour was able to make a connection with Constance in the far future. Yes. Um, And and because I it's not as much of a mystery for readers about how uh, we go from Anna and Omir to a lost Greek text being found <laughs> that uh, Zeno is going to translate, but there is definitely a mystery of like, what's going on with this world Atlas <laughs> uh, that, that Constance is wandering around and, mm-hmm. and these owl shapes and like, well, how is this all going to work? And then this is the the reveal for the audience is is Seymour's time uh, in prison when he's coding some of the the world Atlas.
1: Yeah. And I think fairly early on, I had started to feel I, I felt like pretty negatively about Seymour because he was progressing towards violence. Mm-hmm. And oh, pretty, and, pretty, pretty, and he was pretty almost, obvious, so even without the, you know, even just his pure reaction became violent before manipulation.
0: Yes. Like he almost he almost blows up a house with an old uh, army grenade <laughs> uh, at, at, at one point. Um, in in the like, no one's gonna be in the house, but it was one of the new new houses that's been constructed. He almost goes and blows it up before deciding not to.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so yeah, I, I think you're right. There's a darkness there that gets heightened by the manipulation, but but we do see it before the online manipulation really takes a hold of him. Right, which I think you do need to see that in him for for ever for all this to to feel like a uh you know one character that's involved of uh, you know being from from the innocent child to someone who set a bomb in a local library. Um you need to see that darkness that's like I remember like when he decided not to blow up the house, kind of like being relieved to blow up the house, but also a little bit of the why is this chapter in here? <laughs> like, like it's it's a chapter that's um about like not choosing violence. But you need to know how close he was to the edge of violence for him to yeah. be the same person that is choosing violence in the library scenes that we're getting. Mm-hmm. All right. And then uh, the last uh, main character we have is Constance uh, on this future ship that's not really a generational future ship. It was just uh, a, a, a ship in Iceland. <laughs> uh, what do you think of Constance?
1: I... <sighs> I have a hard time with it because it ends up being kind of a bleak future. Right.
0: Like we don't get told much of what the earth is like. It does feel like something has gone terribly wrong on earth. Like uh, society is gone. Uh, And and she's, she's coming out and it's not uh, like a global society that she finds on Iceland. It's, it's, Oh, it feels a little bit back to back to basics. yeah, Subsistence. (laughs) Yes. Back to subsistence is the people that she finds as she escapes out of for them. What must've been like this giant, uh inaccessible building that's just sitting there Mm -hmm. um but she she does find people out there uh in the end and like i said it's kind of bleak what she finds it does end in like the uh uh you know the symbolic hope of okay well she has children like humanity's gonna go on right like she's not the end uh, of humanity which on the spaceship uh there was the feeling (laughs) that this might be it for humanity mm-hmm. uh that's definitely the impression that we're supposed to be uh taking away as the plague ravages uh everyone else that that is on the ship um but she she does escape and she uh it, she has oh, i'm trying to remember how how it is like she's like written down her own copy of Cloud Cuckoo Land from the pages that she found right hidden around in the atlas right, and so she escapes from the ship uh which the ship is is definitely breaking down. And I I don't think like a community is going to be moving into that ship anytime soon. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But she leaves it with yet again, the book and she finds people that are outside of the ship. And the the last image that we're kind of given is her as a mother reading a bedtime story from the book that she wrote of all the, uh, the digital images that she saw uh, in in the world. atlas.
1: And so I think there's something interesting to maybe not dig into. But at least to address, it seems like throughout this, the, um, the female characters typically are the readers of the book, the readers of the story, the ones that communicate it to somebody else, and the male characters are are, are to some extent the preservers. So, so we see Omer saving, like, okay,
0: so Anna he, gets the book is and and she one reads read it. it, and yeah. he's the but and she Ash-G... reads it to their kids, yes. Uh, but then later in life, the book is kind of falling apart and he's the one that kind of repairs it as she's ailing physically. Right. Yeah. And yeah. He tries to
1: to it. piece it back together and he has to set up the pages to dry. And mm-hmm. and he's the one that ultimately puts it in the wrong order. Right. Uh, but gives it to the Italian booksellers. Um, mm-hmm. we have and so Zeno, he passes it along generationally. Right. Zeno is a translator of it. Mm-hmm. And then the kids and, are. The kids uh, are, he's are with, the...
0: end up with bound copies of what he had translated.
1: Right, and then that goes through one of the kids, which it, which um the the Australian girl through goes. to Seymour in prison, and he's
0: able to embed it in the world atlas.
1: Mm-hmm. And yeah, and so he embeds it, and then um the but it, but it is the, the girl, girl from yeah the girl from Australia also reads it to her kids, which is how Constance's father knows about it.
0: Right. And then, Constance's father had been. It, so he's
1: the he, he's the one who like hears it from from a woman, you know, mm-hmm. reading to him. And then Constance finds and and kind of collects what uh, Seymour had embedded, had, you know, right. translated or or reassembled. And, and she came to the Atlas, her copy uh, that she kind of handwrites, writes reads she's to in her kids.
0: and re- now reads it to her kids. Yeah, I think there's something interesting there. So Um, I think
1: I think there's, you know, parallels and patterns. And um, I also think it's interesting that all of the the male leads that we have throughout it are uh, dealing with some sort of challenge or disadvantage. Uh, So so Omir has uh, a physical defect that marks mm -hmm. him as other. Yeah. And Zenos is gay, which marks him as other
0: sexuality.
1: Yeah. And Seymour is autistic, which marks him as other.
0: And also, they all get kind of conscripted into violence.
1: Oh, uh, I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, they're they're all recruited into... And are, like, into the, two of them into a literal army. Uh, and Seymour
0: into, like, this, uh, like, digital, digitally evangelized into a violent group.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I
0: had not thought of that until this moment. I think there's stuff. I something. I
1: hadn't thought about that one at all. Mm hmm. Uh, and. Ah, uh, it's it's interesting because you only have you don't have complete parallels, but um, Omer is part of violence against. Anna mm-hmm. and then Seymour is part of violence against the Australian girl. I I cannot remember her name. I can't either. Uh, and she does, yeah. she doesn't get her own sequences, so she's she's a secondary character. She's not a primary. Mm-hmm. Zeno is part of violence, but there's not a touch point where he has a counterpoint. Yeah, you know who who is not receiving the violence. He's, en- he's a- going
0: to end up receiving violence from Seymour.
1: Yeah. Um. And so it's there's there's something going on with yeah the conscription and being part of uh, an invading force and attacking force. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I think this is one of those books that the more I think about it and I don't know when I'll revisit it. Cause it is a time commitment to, <laughs> to revisit this, but it's one of the like more recent books that I've read that just immediately I'm like, Oh, there's, there's a lot here. <laughs> like I'm going to be lingering with this one for a very long time. Probably the rest of my life. I'm going to be like, moments are gonna like it's just gonna like, pop up into my head and even like since i finished reading cloud cuckoo land there's another book i finished reading that i don't think that will ever happen again <laughs> we like no oh, that was fine like I, I don't regret reading it but it did not stick with me at all and cloud cuckoo land once i started to see that like once i pushed through that frustration of like okay is there a story here <laughs> like is there something cohesive here once i pushed through that like immediately I was like, Oh, there, there is something here. And since I finished reading it, like I've mentioned it a few times on the podcast, I know I've mentioned it to other people. Like it's one of those books. It's like, ah, okay. This is, this is one of the good ones. This is one that, that is a permanent place on the shelf, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and is going
1: to be in my mind for the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have thought back on it quite a bit. Mm-hmm.
0: So good job, Anthony Dore. Uh, I am a little bit under the weather and I'm starting to feel it. Do you have any final thoughts <laughs> that I, you want to share about Cloud Cuckoo Land?
1: I think I've thrown in pretty much everything that that I could think of. I, I It would be interesting to reread it knowing how everything fits together. Yes. And that's
0: a thought I've had because you do feel like uh, initially there is a feeling of like grasping for like that handle, like a narrative handle. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm kind of interested in these characters, but I just don't know what the story is. Uh, And to reread it, knowing that I think would be rewarding. And uh, this is one of my favorite kind of episodes where, like, just talking through it, we found some new ideas that I had not thought about. Like that construction of the men into violence uh, is not something that I I'd connected at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love it when we stumble across those kinds of insights during a discussion, uh, you know, as well as the ones that we kind of come prepped to, to talk about a little bit. So thank you, Andrew. Yeah. All right. That is going to wrap up this episode. Listeners, thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre shows, you can go to duelinggenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Tofti who composed our theme music. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. Andrew, do you think listeners can tell that we're on the second episode of a double record and my voice is starting to go out?
1: Uh, No, not at all.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. Good, good. I've also had my first week of lecturing happening,
1: so just a nice <laughs> lot of talking that's been going on. <clears throat>